Wednesday, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us here on the Transportation and Logistics Podcast, powered by Atlanta Dispatch and Humblebee Enterprises. I'm very excited to be here with a very special guest. We have Mr. Curtis Garrett, who is the founder and chief creative over at Understand LTL. And before we begin, just wanted to say that the Dispatcher's Guide to the Galaxy is available now as an ebook and a physical book. And you can acquire your copy online from Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And if you're into the ebook space, you can get that bad boy from Apple. Well, look, my brother Curtis, thank you again for joining me today. How's everything going? Good, Jory. Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Um, it's good to see your consistency with this. I remember seeing it started back during COVID and, um, you know, here you are still. It's it's whoever kind of puts in the reps and doesn't give up is who wins in the end. Oh, yes, sir. I agree with that, man. And It's giving me those reps. Interestingly enough, just this past weekend, right, I had the opportunity to attend Freight Fest, which is Brother Rymel Watley's conference from over at Truck and Hustle. And I was moderating a few of the panels and I got some good reviews and, and I told them, funny thing is, had I not been on this platform speaking, putting in the reps, I don't know if it would have been as comfortable, you know, because naturally I'm a real chill guy, but the reps, putting in those reps became muscle memory to power through any nerves while on the stage. Um, but yeah, I appreciate the kudos on the consistency. It's definitely helped me out in so many different ways. And again, I, I noticed you from a while ago, brother. So I'm happy to have you on stage now. How'd you get into logistics and specifically, how'd you get into the LTL space? Yeah, it's it's pretty simple. I needed a job <laughs> and I ended up finding one uh, with Old Dominion Freight Lines, one of the, one of the top LTL carriers out there. So... I knew somebody that worked there. I was in my early 20s. I was going to college. Um, also was married and was looking for, you know, just a decent paying job with good benefits. And that was that was what I found. So I, I had zero family in trucking and freight. Um, I was set on kind of a different path and took the job. And, you know, I was told day one by certain people that, more people in freight are lifers than than most people realize and i think for a lot of people it's because it is a place it's an industry where you can do pretty well and and make you know pretty good money and compensation if if that's if you're driven and that's what you're looking for whether that's sales or operations or you know a bunch of a bunch of other verticals within the industry for me it was just it kind of it started scratching a lot of my itches like I like I like math I like numbers I like you know geography and maps and just looking at the bigger picture of things and kind of thinking through how you know how things move from A to B and how it all works <clears throat> excuse me so it just over time like kept giving me challenges and and I took kind of a weird path through my time at OD some lateral moves. I actually drove drove a truck for a year. I uh, got my CDL and drove both local and over the road for them. And then went from that into what's called weights and inspections in the LTL space, which is kind of one foot in pricing, one foot in operations. So you're basically, you know, verifying that what's being shipped uh, matches the bill of lading and, and the charges are accurate. 
So yeah, it just totally by accident, but couldn't be happier with the career. It's the industry's perfect for me. Um, and then here, you know, in the past four or five years, I would say, I just kind of decided to make it my own and, and go deep and narrow on LTL. So, you know, I, I don't know a ton about the other modes and just that's by choice. I, I want to be, um, one of the best at LTL and I'm willing to give up, you know, kind of that broad generalist, uh, freight knowledge to do that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, look, again, I truly appreciate you for being here. And OD, that's one of the, as you said, one of the major players. When you look at a company and their portfolio and just how they've done, I think consistently throughout this whole entire thing, Old Dominion has been, they've been handling business. So I'm pretty sure that all of that great experience there has served you well. Do you feel like you got an entrepreneurial spirit back then because i know that you have your own situation now we're definitely going to talk about it do you feel like you were beginning to see some of the interest in entrepreneurships back then yes and no i i actually think about that a lot and kind of wonder myself and try to think back like i I don't have that typical story of like i was a neighborhood kingpin and selling you know lemonade and (laughs) pine cones and and everything like back when i was five or six i just i wish i did sometimes i don't have that but what i do have is like natural curiosity um i always want to figure out you know how things work why things work why do we do things the way we do if we can do it better so i kind of have like a natural just innovative and and curious mind And then I just, I have a low, I guess, a low BS tolerance too. And so I think when, you know, when when you're tired of playing the game and playing the politics and and you do want to build something that is in the best form it can possibly be for wherever you are, then it just naturally works out that you've got to start branching out on your own. But yeah, no, I wasn't like, you know, I did have a paper route. I will say that. So I did learn. Hey. I did learn, uh, you know, the benefits of responsibility and hard work and actually funny, real quick, funny story. I grew up in Canada, Western Canada, so um, free healthcare, right? And when I was 14, (laughs) I broke my elbow playing hockey. And because of that, I had surgery. I was in the hospital for a day and then I missed a few weeks of my paper out. So not only did my parents not get a hospital bill because it's it's all public covered, but we actually submitted a claim to my dad's insurance. And because I claimed like two or three, you know, weeks of missed paper out work, they actually sent us a check for 500 bucks. <laughs> what? <laughs> Man, that's kind of sweet, especially as a... Yeah, I was like 14. Wow. No, that's awesome, brother. And I'm not going to lie. People, some people have very elaborate stories of, you know, hustling as a kid. Me thinking about it right now, I've never shared this, or at least I never had a reason to, but I did understand the concept of supply and demand. I had a store right in my neighborhood and it was very, very easy for me to access that store and I would buy stuff in bulk. And I would take that stuff to school and I would sell it. I didn't think about it in the sense of what I was doing at the time, but maybe there was a a spirit of entrepreneurship way back when. Um, Oh, totally. 
so yeah, that's this, a gift. You know that, that you were able to recognize. I mean, that that's some some arbitrage, right? You're like, if I can buy in bulk and and pay less per item and then flip it, and there is a need, that's totally like natural entrepreneurship. Yeah, man. I, I couldn't have been. Uh, this had to be about eight years old, seven, eight years old, something of that nature. Nice. There you go. Yeah. yeah. But um, in the spirit of this conversation. You know, most of the people who I talk to, they are participating in the full truckload side of things. And uh, whether it be drive-in, reefer, they even have box trucks. But what constitutes an LTL shipment? What is a less than truckload shipment? Good question. And you're right, it is It is kind of a small little subset or small mode within, you know, transportation in general. Um Typically, I define it as, uh, you know, one to six pallets, um, 100 to, you know, 8,000 pounds or something like that. And, and there's always outliers and exceptions that fall on either side of those. I, I've seen I've seen where an entire, you know, 53 foot local LTL trailer goes and picks up like a single box somewhere. Um, or I've seen, you know, when I was a driver, we, we had a paper company near where I lived in Ohio at the time and would back in there and then pull out with, you know, 30 or 40,000 pounds on the trailer. So that's kind of the, the unique like blessing and a curse with LTL. I like to, I like to talk about how, you know, LTL carriers kind of have like the parcel expectation of, of agility and, and nimbleness and like quick delivery and show up here and, you know, deliver to my house and all these things that parcel carriers do a lot of the time. But then with the, with the capability and strength of a full truckload provider where they are loaded up with some serious weight at times and some massive crates and machinery and they're kind of that big, you know, that big catch-all bucket in the middle. So the other, just outside of the shipment profile itself of that one to six pallets, you know, 108,000 pounds or so, another key indicator of you know is this ltl or is this just a milk run or a multi-stop truckload is there's got to be some sort of network involved typically where there's cross docking there's consolidating of of freight that share similar destinations and that's you know that's where carriers have a lot of the leverage they have and, and are able to maintain the you know lane density in different different regions around the country is is obviously similar to how the airlines work. Um, you know, you don't get a direct flight anywhere or everywhere. Uh, you're lucky if you get it nowadays anywhere, I guess. But, <laughs> um, you know, you got to be routed to where a bunch of your friends that are that are headed to the same place are routed. And, and if you look at kind of the map of the U.S., um, every major area, you know, whether it's Atlanta or Chicago or Columbus, Ohio, where, where I was a driver, they all have kind of their neighboring, you know, mid-sized to smaller markets that also have freight, just not enough to, to justify those direct trailers. So that all is brought into the hub and then consolidated and moved on down the road, you know, with the trailer as full as possible. So, yeah, if there's a network effect, if there's if there's brick and mortar cross dock facilities and then if it's these smaller shipments that just don't make sense to you know to pay for an entire truckload and send it then that's that's going to be an ltl gotcha i think that was a very thorough answer and in that you 
probably answer this next question, but just to be sure, the difference between potentially something that can fall in that parcel space, is it only the weight? Is it something that is 100 pounds or more that makes it an LTO versus a parcel? It's, yeah, it's usually weight. I think there are some size implications as well. Like I think the, the parcel carriers will will whack you with a pretty big fee if you have something longer. Um, you know, it could be if you're shipping pool noodles or something, it could be super light, but still kind of long and awkward and, and wreck their, you know, their cube and their little trucks. So um, that that's where there's a lot of not, I wouldn't say confusion, but there's just a lot of like gray on uh, should this go parcel and be a large parcel shipment or should it go LTL and, and hit like an LTL minimum charge, in which case it's really going to make your cost per pound metric look high because if you're sending, you know, something that's only 75 or a hundred pounds, but it's just, it's just bulky and awkward enough that it probably should go LTL from a handling perspective. If it's still hitting like $110 minimum charge, you know, that's quite a bit more than what a parcel would be. So you just have to be aware of that and, and know that, you know, the, the heavier your LTL shipment, the less, the less money, Per pound you're going to be paying gotcha gotcha so in this world of players who are handling the ltl does it make sense for those same folks to handle parcel like is that the golden combination well it kind of happens already like depending on the market the freight market in general like i mentioned earlier ltl is kind of the catch-all in the middle and so mm -hmm. when the truckload market's busier and capacity's tighter you do see larger shipments on average spilling into the LTL networks. And then same thing like during COVID, especially when e-commerce was blowing up, you see, you saw a lot more smaller, like typically a, what would be a parcel shipment kind of spilling into LTL as well. So by default, they do end up getting some and some carriers uh, here recently, especially have kind of explored, you know, and leaned a little bit more into uh, more e-com, you know, direct to consumer home delivery type business. Um, I think that's good. I think it's great, you know, from a partnership perspective, if they have a, a sister company or a really good partnership for more parcel-esque shipping. But I think it does, if you're trying to run a true, like efficient, profitable LTL carrier, I think it does kind of make it harder to hit, you know, the same profit margins um when you have a lot of lighter freight in the system so it it's kind of debatable i mean there's not one right answer um old dominion may tell you one thing and and xbo might tell you something else but i think the sweet spot is more that you know the one to six full-size pallets and um the more the more weight these carriers pick up on average every time they they bump a dock like it's just it's more weight, which is driving more revenue, which is which is spreading their costs across more volume because it's whether they pick up a little box or they pick up, you know, half a trailer, it pretty much costs them the same amount to drive there and they're burning the same fuel and paying the driver, you know, the same amount of time. So I would say no. Sorry, that was an extremely long answer to your question, but I would say there can be as things are evolving and people are ordering more 
grills and saunas and hot tubs and you know larger things to their home then yeah there's definitely there's definitely a market for um for that to go ltl in a lot of cases but the combo i think is a little harder when you're talking like true parcel freight right no that makes perfect sense i mean especially if the driver is getting additional revenues per stop uh, which sometimes that's built into some contracts so funny thing you mentioned some of the larger ltl items a hot tub or any of those type of things that are ultimately destined for a residence I don't know if it was you. I might even be fishing right here. But like I said, a lot of people who who listen in or are part of the transportation and logistics clubhouse, they are owner operators with smaller equipment, you know, maybe box trucks, maybe even the smaller ones, the cube trucks. Is it such a thing where uh, LTL carrier would even think about subcontracting that type of work, the residential, the last mile, the final mile type of stuff to some of these individual owner operators. And like I said, that could be me fishing. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great, it's a great fishing question. And, and yeah, I think it's already, it's already being done. And I think it'll, I think it'll increase because really what's, what's held it back um, is, you know, the, the cost of lack of visibility and like a seamless transfer and we still see like in these antiquated you know edi tracking calls and even some of the api tracking a carrier will hand off a shipment to to their partner to their agent or some cartage or like local company and they'll show that as delivered which will actually that notification will go back to the shipper or the 3PL or whoever's monitoring the freight when in reality it's not delivered to the end customer and it's just handed off to the partner. So that causes issues and we're still kind of held back by that sort of thing. But I think as technology improves and there's more frictionless ways for, you know, for contractors and partners um, to, to be kind of inter- interchangeably part of the network, especially on the local side, then yeah, absolutely. Um, I, any LTL carrier any day of the week would rather fill up a 53 footer and stay, you know, in the industrial parts of town versus venturing into the neighborhoods with these full size semis and risking, you know, hitting a car, pulling down wires. Um, that's no fun at all. So definitely that's coming. I mean, it is here in, you know, in some level, but, uh, it's it's definitely going to be a thing you know as as the tech kind of catches up to i guess what's happening like in in the real world on the ground right right and i I guess that's exactly what everybody is expecting these days just 100 percent transparency visibility at every single stage of the game um i believe that might just be the Amazon effect, but it's here, you know. But I've heard that there are some technologies within the last mile delivery space that a lot of carriers are using. I do think that we're getting close, and I'm happy if that is a avenue for these owner operators, these small fleet owners, to potentially get more business because. As you know, as everyone knows, it's been tough over the last 20 months and it's been super tough for box truck carriers because the market ain't necessarily built in their favor. Um, right. 
But look, you said something earlier too, something that would constitute it being an LTL is if there was some type of being brought into a facility, consolidated, and you know, all those good things. And it made me think about the fact that some drivers, you got to get doubles as an endorsement. You got to get triples sometimes. And I see it a lot with the parcel carriers and sometimes even with the LTL carriers where a driver will have the multiple trailers going down the road. Uh, why is that a common thing when it comes to the parcel or LTL space? You mean the wiggle wagons? Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, I see them all the time just wiggling yeah. up the highway. Yeah, I I actually, I never pulled triples, but I was certified for it. Never had the chance. They didn't run them where I lived, where I drove for Old Dominion. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, one, just back to where I was saying, you know, it's it's consolidating a lot of freight that's heading in the same direction. So say, say you have an LTL carrier picking up in and around Atlanta, and they have a trailer that's destined for chicago you know they might have enough direct chicago metro freight to fill up a couple of those shorter pup trailers but then they might have kind of a mixture of like on the way up to chicago we've got some stuff that needs to you know be offloaded in indianapolis or some other city on the way which you know where they do have another terminal of theirs to to run the trailer through have it have it stripped back as far as that chicago head load um, it just, it makes it, I guess, a lot more modular. Like if you're mixing and matching and you're having drivers pull, pull freight for different destinations, it just gives you more routing options, right? Like you might, you can at least get, get freight moving in the right direction, but it doesn't have to be exactly where that driver's going. Like another example, I remember, you know, when I drove out of Columbus, Ohio, I might've been sent down to Greensboro. And I had two trailers and one might have been, you know, after Greensboro split and basically going, you know, to Charleston or somewhere east further on the East Coast. And then another one might have been going over to Atlanta or further southwest to, to Alabama or something. So it just gives more flexibility. Um, and then also it's, you know, the combined cube and space is bigger. It's more than a 53. So it's, it's typically going to be two 28 foot trailers. Um, so in aggregate, that's, that's good. That's a little more space than just one 53. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, thank you for that. And this next question I'm going to ask, it's a very relevant question. Now, if I don't know these numbers, <laughs> I don't know the numbers. So I'm going to ask you and you can estimate to the best of your ability. But the name of this session is, you know, LTL sales, big business or chump change. How big is the LTL industry freight spin wise? Like how much money? are we talking about in the whole grand scheme of things? Yeah. So if, if we were somehow able to capture numbers for, you know, every, every smaller, like even maybe concluding volume and partial shipments, but anything that's, that's smaller than a truckload and including stuff that, you know, gets run multi-stop or, or milk runs or, stuff that goes through like flock freights network now is there is they're combining smaller shipments and pooling it on on truckload carriers like if we had nobody has that that centralized view of all the data that would probably be 
I don't think it'd still be um, 100 billion, but I think it'd probably be more like like 80 or 90. Um, but if if you just look at kind of the, you know, the very consolidated LTL, like standard LTL market with, you know, the top like five or six carriers having um, a, a monstrous portion of the business, like 80 plus percent of the business. If you look at those carriers where it's like Old Dominion, FedEx Freight, XBO, and then down to some of the regionals like Dayton Freight, Pitt, Ohio, Avert Express, um, that's probably about a $65 billion chunk. So both, both much, much smaller than truckload and parcel. Um, and then kind of that true, like I said, like the standard core carrier LTL network where there's really only like 30 or 40 real players. That's more like 65 billion. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And look, I'm in the South and I'm in the Southeast. So we can't forget about Southeastern freight lines because uh, I'm a part of so many different logistics groups down here when they're also uh, huge members. But uh, yeah, no, I feel it, brother. I just had to give a, a shout out. Great. Yep. They're a, they're a top 10 largest LTL carrier, actually. They're, they're, they're the largest like regional. Like if you see the ranking list, you see the, you know, the, the OD, the Estes, the RNL, those big national ones. Mm-hmm. Southeastern is always the, the, the next one on the list and basically the largest of those regionals. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, look, the market had a huge shakeup this year. I mean, it was a slow fall. It was something that we witnessed. Uh, it was like a giant falling and it took about two quarters to do it. But in your opinion, you being so hands-on and in the mixed of the LTL industry, how large of an impact was Yellow's departure from the marketplace? LTL is just weird in general, right? Let's just say that, get that, get that up uh, on the table. It's always a little bit behind truckload in true like supply and demand and, and the impact of, you know, how tight or loose capacity is. Um, so I would say like we were rounding like maybe February this year. And finally seeing some light at the end of the tunnel and and things were loosening up and carrier pricing was getting a lot more appealing. And we were starting to, you know, the industry as a whole was starting to let some RFPs fly because pretty much all during COVID, you had to be crazy or desperate to do any sort of RFP activity. You just had to basically use whatever rates you had in place. And um, so early this year, first quarter into second quarter, it was like, all right, things are finally turning around. And then like middle to the end of May, I think it was, is when, you know, the yellow uh, whispers started coming out, which turned into pretty much an article a day by freight waves. <laughs> right. You know, and then the and then the union on the warpath and just a messy situation that, that played out in front of everybody. And probably already by like mid-June all the other LTL carriers were kind of preparing for them to go under. And so that immediately stopped like that aggressive pricing and, and, you know, loose market. And, and they're now like, okay, you know, we got to be ready for this. So I remember I had certain carriers like trying to do deals at that time and say, you know, give us an 8% increase now but if yellow goes under, 
will commit to holding you know these rates um if if you don't agree to this then we're still going to pretty much take what we need six or eight percent and then when yellow goes under and we're you know we're jam-packed we might need another 10 or 15 then and we'll just have to do what we have to do so it's the, the thing with ltl is there's no there's no centralized data around pricing right every every carrier's kind of its own silo nobody shares enough ltl pricing data to to have any sort of like market index or any sort of version of that on the truckload side and even if we did you know even if we could consolidate all that all that data across different carriers or or from the shipper side it'd also be really hard to normalize it because you could be neighbors with somebody shipping to the same city and because it's a different commodity or freight class or they use a different fuel schedule or like one you know one of a number of other variables their cost per pound or per mile or however you want to slice and dice it would be vastly different so it's just a really hard really hard industry to to normalize and and look at okay what are true market rates and i say that because carriers know that and really it comes down to the narrative the headlines and the, you know who's the better storyteller so ltl carriers can paint a picture like capacity's tight um you know rates need to go up and there's really not a lot of centralized transparent data to to prove them otherwise so immediately when yellow looked to be in dire situation you know it, it was back to that um carriers trying to trying to regain ground that they might have lost uh in the in the first quarter of the year um and then they went out right at the end of july um we're still kind of feeling the effects of that now just just a ton of a ton of business that you know is now churning and people kind of went anywhere immediately um, as far as other carriers just to just to have coverage and just to keep their products moving <coughs> excuse me but they're still they're still looking for like more permanent ltl carrier homes um some of the carriers that took more of that yellow freight like based on xpo and SIA numbers th- those are probably two that got a lot and then estes is private so they don't release their numbers but just judging you know by some of the pricing stances they took and then some of their performance metrics they clearly got a lot too so it just it has a weird way of shaking out through the system and it's gonna it's gonna take a bit before the dust truly settles um but yeah definitely made things made things interesting and then and then if you're following the news this week you know we were lucky enough to have a second black swan event uh right after the yellow closure with this with this estes cyber attack and they've been they've been completely brain dead no connectivity no tracking no rating they're literally operating off paper uh like they did in the 80s so kind of a second a second hit to ltl capacity and service but um yeah it's been interesting um my, despite all that and all that chaos, my strategy and my, my advice to shippers is always the same. It's just keep doing the right things. Keep, you know, keep uh, 
submitting accurate shipment data to your carriers, using good packaging, like just be the good partner so that when things do get a little more sketchy, you, you know, you do have that good relationship to stand and, and fall back on, pay your carriers on time. Um, don't go crazy trying to, you know, try to win the lottery through a claim or something like that. And I think it's just good practice. It's kind of, I kind of compare it to like dollar cost averaging in the stock world. Like just it, LTL is really hard to like time the market and be like, all right, I got you. I'm going to do this RFP now and like save a bunch of money. It's more just consistent, good practices, just like your daily or weekly buying the same stock, whether it's up or down. And I think that's how you win in the end with LTL. Yes, sir. And that's what I was thinking about the entire time we were waiting for yellow to, you know, leave the market was like you said, it's completely siloed these different major LTL carriers and the way that they do their pricing. And I didn't expect old dominion to be fighting over any of the business just because yellow has some of the lower rates when it comes to the market. Whereas as you would know, Old Dominion is based on service and things of those nature. So it's not it's not fighting to be the, the low cost <laughs> provider. So I was interested to see how things was gonna shake out. Yeah. But yeah, All to right. your point on that, um mm -hmm. like again, it goes back to the carrier's narrative and a lot like pretty much every LTL carrier out there says the same thing they all sound like old dominion they're all like well we're going to put our current customers first we're not going to take on a bunch of this yellow business they all say that like they all want to look and sound the same and no one wants to be first last highest or lowest they all want to be this huge you know clump of just this the same looking and sounding thing in the middle but yet in reality it's different like all that freight went somewhere <laughs> you know it, people took it People took the government freight that Yellow was known for hauling, the federal government freight, the DOD freight. So it's it found a home. But if you talk to those LTL carrier reps, they're all kind of they're all kind of preaching the same thing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And look, I did want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Exalted Innovations LLC, which is an organization founded on faith in 2020. I had the pleasure of meeting this brother in Texas uh, this past weekend, the owner of this company, and that was definitely a blessing. But I would say that if you're interested in getting 3PL services in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, go ahead and reach out to that brother immediately because for Q4, they are running a promotion. Any of their customers who are seeking their housing services for six months longer, they're going to get a 5% credit applied for at least the first month. So I would tell you to definitely reach out for them. Uh, they're growing in Jersey, Atlanta, in the Miami markets, and definitely in the, the space to be able to even provide consulting services um, in the areas of e-commerce, sourcing, and procurement. So Exalted Innovations, reach out to them if you are interested in those services. But Curtis, my guy. You mentioned this earlier, but, you know, thinking about who actually, um, but have you seen any ways that small fleet owners can be a part of the LTL industry as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to what, you know, to build, I guess, to add to what I 
what I said before, I'm very, very optimistic um, about smaller companies being able to link together through better technology. And, and I think it's the same pattern as, you know, like what you see kind of in the, the corporate work world as well. Like a company, a big company will keep, you know, as much in-house as they need to, as long as the cost and the friction um, to doing that is less than what it would be to just outsource it. Like if you, if you specialize in one thing, you know, if you manufacture and sell certain products or, or you're doing certain services, like you don't need to have, you know, the expert for every single thing out there needed to run your business in house. If there is a seamless pain-free, you know, tech driven. And when I say tech driven, I just mean the connectivity, like the, you know, integrations connecting into different systems, not, um, not, you know, computers doing it all. But I think that still applies with, with smaller fleets. And you look at like shippers out there are like building their own networks, transportation networks by consolidating and, and, and linking up all these smaller fleets around the country. Like Shopify is doing, they've been working on that where they've got, you know, they've got pickup and delivery stuff going on in certain markets. And then they've got, you know, truckload carriers doing the line haul portion, moving stuff from the, the West to the East coast. And I think really these, these old school, you know, uh, standard LTL carriers, the 30 or 40 that I mentioned that have a big chunk of the market, they probably need to watch out for that and, you know, make sure that they're staying ahead of certain things or, partnering with and using some of these carriers where, yeah, it's, it's a strength, you know, for somebody with five or six box trucks to just go, go every morning, pick up all the treadmills and hot tubs and grills and different things like that, and then take them out into all the suburbs and downtown and residential areas. As long as the tracking seamless, the, you know, the, the paperwork or the, the, the information's all digital. It's being transferred through an app or through, you know, the, the ELD or whatever. Um, that's going to become a lot more common. It's just, it's cheaper. And if the service product's still there and if the, you know, the brand is still strong and still protected or, or there's at least a strong collaborative brand and, and partnership, I, I really, really think that's going to become more common, more commonplace. So, if I were a small fleet owner, um, I did actually have a little stint as as the owner of a hotshot trucking company a few years back, but it didn't last super long. It was only three trucks, uh, but I, I got a glimpse of that world. So if, if that were me today, I would definitely, you know, just be getting to know those larger carriers that might have these. Uh, go to the local terminals, you know, talk to their management, see if there's any needs that, that could be supported by my smaller, more, more nimble company. Um, and then just be ready on the side of things. Like, you know, you don't have to have a whole in-house development department and, and just be you know, the equivalent to FedEx or Old Dominion. But at the same time, there's, if you're smart, you know, there's good third-party tech products and 
and be running your company off some sort of platform that does have the ability to integrate with, you know, with partners and with bigger carriers. And I think it'll, it'll come, it'll, it'll be a, you know, a no brainer here soon. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, look on the flip side of things, what about brokerages, freight brokerages? Um, how can they, are they a part of the industry if they're not one of the in-house portions of one of these major LTL carriers. So how are freight brokers being a part of the LTL industry? I think, so what's becoming more automated and transactional in LTL are just the, you know, the blanket rates, the basically the stuff that these carriers can't, can't cost out, they can't quantify, they don't, they can't forecast. So all these shippers using, you know, Global Trans or Echo or Blue Grace, some of these big broker blanket programs. That's that's always been a hard thing. You know, the carrier doesn't know what they're going to get day to day. And really, the only thing they can account for are the volumes, but they can't account for, you know, freight density and and loadability and claims risk and all the other things that drive their cost. So because of that, when, you know, when you hear the term dynamic pricing being thrown around in LTL a lot now, all of that automation and, and dynamic pricing is really being targeted at the blanket general pricing bucket so that, you know, when, when things get tight, when yellow goes under, it's like, okay, an immediate, immediate rate hike on the transactional business because it's, you know, they're guessing on it. There's, there's less that can be truly, you know, assumed and, and accounted for. They'd rather get tighter, you know, and, and closer on the margins, but know exactly what they're picking up and hauling and delivering from more of a, you know, a direct, um, direct national account that they have good data. They can, they can run it through their cost model. But what's happening on that side is interesting. It, it almost doesn't matter anymore whether that bigger shipper is just going direct to the carriers themselves with no 3PL involved, or if they are using a 3PL, but that 3PL is basically doing like a managed service and getting a, a letter of authorization and going, you know, and negotiating pricing for that specific shipper, the what they call client-specific pricing. So. 3PLs are definitely very embedded in LTL. It's growing more and more. You now have this additional layer of just all these TMS options where like a lot of shippers in the past might have only wanted to go with a 3PL just because they wanted access to the, to the technology and the TMS and they didn't want to pay for that themselves. So there's more and more options now with some of these, you know, TMS light options. Um, if you don't need the, if you don't need the capabilities of like a mercury gate or some some big beefy system you can you can get like a my carrier or a freight view or a cubics or you know things like that for very cheap so that that's kind that's going to take some of the the 3pl business i think but at the end of the day um, there's always going to be you know the blanket business in ltl i think that's going to keep that's going to keep consolidating and just sit with more and more of the, the big brokers, because again, the, you know, the best driver of aggressive pricing there is just, is just lots of volume. So if you're a small broker and you're playing in that world, 
you're never going to beat the big guys on blanket pricing just because, you know, you don't have the volume. But when it comes to more customized services and, and negotiating pricing specifically for a certain shipper, then, yeah, we're going to keep seeing, you know, more. It's kind of that same conversation with, with the smaller carriers being partners with bigger carriers. If I'm a shipper, you know, why have a whole traffic department and transportation director and all these things if I can painlessly and, you know, and, and cheaply enough just outsource it to experts that do that for a living? And obviously everyone, I'm sure, has different different views and takes on that. But, yeah, I, I think I think it's going to keep growing as a portion of LTL. It's interesting. I've learned a bit about refrigerated uh, LTL and frozen LTL here lately. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like what, what standard LTL probably was 15 or 20 years ago in like, as far as their view, they're, they're a little more anti third party, anti broker. They still just want that direct shipper relationship from what I've seen so far. Um, so there's, they're kind of further back in the evolution, but it's inevitable, whether it's through a tech platform, through a service provider, um, like there, there's just going to be more parties connected and involved with the, the execution and management of freight in this country, because, you know, we, we live here, we always, we want to innovate, make things better. And if I'm a company that produces, um, you know, oven mitts, I'm going to spend my R&D money and, and spend my resources getting better at being the best oven mitt producer in the world. I'm not going to spend a bunch of that and allocate it to being the best shipper and the best transportation, you know, uh, participant in the world. So right. why not leave that to people that do that for a living? Right. And hearing you say that makes me think about the different agreements that come apart with certain franchises that you can buy into specifically the uni shippers and in express when you purchase those franchises you kind of get that volume discount uh with certain <laughs> providers you know whether it be dhl or ups or whomever you know those are the prices that you can then offer to your clients who are seeking LTL shipping services. Um, right. But those those franchises come at a steeper cost than what I'm really thinking about here. I'm thinking about the mom and shop, excuse me, the mom and pop brokerage, the folks who just started and they have the ability to go out here and sell for LTL services. Is that something that they can get into um, from your experience or is that too unrefined to make a splash in this business in the LTL industry? I, I kind of, I know what you're asking and I kind of see those two uh, scenarios as being on different ends of like the same spec spectrum, maybe. So the Okay. You know, if you have a few dollars or you have some sort of book of business or relationships, like you can get into the agent model or the franchise model. And yeah, you're going to be, you know, suited up like Iron Man and have the rates and have the TMS and, and all this stuff and look real professional. But a lot of the time, those people like they don't really know freight. They're, you know, they're still new to it. They just had maybe a couple advantages. Um, 
and they really lean on just beating prices and and winning like a shipment at a time kind of thing because they got lower price so i'm not a fan of that model as much more so because i think you know the big parent companies kind of take advantage of that and obviously it's it's a smart model for them if you're purely looking at growth but you know you got to look at where incentives lie and if they're if they see all these folks in their network is basically their agents and you know they make a percentage cut of whatever they make well in the world of ltl where you have a lot of discrepancies and carriers are inspecting freight reweighing it and, and adding to, to a lot of shipments is that parent organization really incentivized to dispute it and fight it and get a lower bill you know they're they're insulated from the end customer because that's their agent's duty to deal with them. Um, but you know, they're, they are incentivized for, for a higher average, uh, dollar amount per LTL transaction. So I, I'm just not a fan of that. I mean, that's, that, that's where, you know, that, that blank business that I talked about will, will largely remain just with those bigger guys, just cause they, they do have the volume still. But on the flip side, what you mentioned, like, I think it's a little harder to break into the industry as a broker or a small 3PL without that, you know, those resources and, and, and those rates. But I think in the end, if you can do it, it's a better way to do it because you're, you're a freer, more independent business. You have more control over what you're doing. Uh, you can, you know, if you meet the right people and if you have some of the right knowledge, you can go to these carriers and get pricing um you know whether it is a a general agreement um probably won't be as competitive as the big guys but you can get something and or you can get the you know the client specific pricing if you if you go in and sell a you know a five hundred thousand dollar or or two million dollar a year ltl shipper because somebody knew your uncle or whatever like you can represent them as as their 3PL and you can go, if that's your first account you've ever worked with, uh, you can go get pricing on their behalf and, and do business with the carriers. So that's the better way to do it. It's just a little bit trickier. Um, I'm actually, I've been thinking about trying to solve that problem for a while. Like I, I hate how with LTL, whether you're a new shipper, or you, you know, really new anything, new carrier or you, or you're trying to start a brokerage. LTL is so like painful and punishing and it takes years to like meet the right people, understand how all this crazy stuff works. And there's a lot of like, you know, consequences and, and money lost, it seems like before that. So I'm what I'm trying to do with understand LTL and then maybe some future companies that I start is trying to lower the barrier to entry and, and kind of make LTL a little, little flatter of an industry so that anybody can do it. Like we, it does make sense. Like everything, you know, everything ties out in the end. It's very math driven. It's very systematized. So if you set up the right LTL program with the right pricing, the right carriers, the right service, it can kind of run on its own pretty well. Is that the um, benefit? I mean, because I kind of wanted to get there. I mean, is that one of the benefits you feel like it is something that if you set up the infrastructure correctly, it's kind of like now you forget it and, you know, the profits rolling? 
Totally. Yeah. It can, you do a lot of work on the front end. You, you negotiate and analyze all the pricing. You, you know, you got to have some sort of rating option or TMS and, and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, if it's set up right, you typically only are talking like a rate increase once a year. And I mean, you're going to have shipments day to day that just need attention and there's missed pickups and late deliveries. It's not, it's not perfect by any means, but you're not, you're not trying to find a truck every day, you know, like you have your relationships with, with whatever number of carriers you, you set up on the account and you grow those relationships. You, you deal with the same people day in, day out, you know, it's, it's high transaction, but it's, uh, it's very, you know, framework driven. You can, you can set up the program, do it right. And then kind of let it run. Right. Right. So with your company, understand LTL. If a person was coming up to you saying, Hey, I want to understand LTL and maybe they haven't been on the sales side of things before, what type of stuff can they expect? Are you telling them more so what ingredients make a good LTL customers and to look for these things? Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, specifically with Understand LTL, it's 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 courses, it's education, it's a community. Um, I've got a live event, mastermind event happening in November. And it's just, I'm just trying to build it as like kind of that safe space safe space that I mentioned with, you know, whether you're new to the industry or whether you're the, the oldest, most grizzled veteran out there. Um, I'm trying to create a, a spot where people can collaborate and talk and have ideas and things like that. So, <clears throat> excuse me, part of that naturally is the education and training side. Um, there's not a lot of training material out there. The TIA has a course, they've got one LTL course. Um, and smc3 another organization has their own suite of courses i've got mine and there's really not much else so my goal is you know teach teach the first principles of ltl teach people how to think about it and so i don't start with here's this here's this book of eight thousand different freight classifications here's you know all the different carriers and all the variables and moving parts. Cause that just scares people off right away and it overwhelms them. So, you know, I, I talk about things that are easy to remember and make sense and they kind of help you build like the mental models in your head to then be able to take that and look at any LTL situation and be able to figure out what's going on. So, you know, I, I mentioned a couple of times throughout this talk about just what drives cost for LTL carriers, the asset-based carriers. And this is something I teach in the course. It's, you know, it's primarily going to be something that rolls up to either space, time, or risk. It's really just those three things. If you're talking about residential deliveries, lift gate, you know, uh, hard to handle freight claims, uh, freight that's, that's not packaged well and prone to claims uh payment like any variable that that really impacts what it what it truly costs carrier to handle and operate an account is typically going to be tied to, to space time or risk it's that's easy for people to remember i talk about it all the time i put it on stickers and give them away 
nerds being like, well, what's the class for plastic articles? Oh, it's one five five six 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 zero sub three. Like it doesn't have to be like that, you know. Right. It just has to be a lot more. I, I'm really just trying to like make the user experience better. Like to speak from a technology term, um, LTL is like this big, confusing, clunky machine that works. And it's really impressive what these carriers do, but the user interface sucks. So I'm just trying to make that a little better. Right, right. No, and I completely understand you there, brother. And I appreciate what you're doing. We're, we're basically about to close out, but I did have one final question. Just in the ideal sense of things, right? Is there a type of customer or commodity that you are going for every single time if you're in LTL sales, like the creme de la creme. And, you know, on the flip side, is there a uh, commodity that you do not want to move because of all of those things that you just said? Yeah, space, time and risk. So, I mean, you got to the big the big the biggest part of LTL carriers cost is going to be the space portion because you're talking line haul is the biggest part of their costs you're you know space on the trailer as it moves potentially across the country so with that in mind you've got to think about how you know how your freight plays with other customers freight that's on there and um how you know how awkward is it to handle like is it easy is it a big long, big long crate that's maybe easy to push on a trailer but you have to basically you know, tie a chain to it to be able to take it off because you can't pick it up with a forklift. Just, just well constructed, well packaged, um, easy to handle freight. You know, obviously standard size pallets that are, you know, forty eight by forty by forty eight or fifty inches tall, and and kind of just square, heavier pallets um, are always good. They're always a go to. It also you know, it also really matters what type of location you're talking. Is it a, a retail or grocery distribution center on the delivery end that's going to keep an LTL driver backed up and they can't finish their route for the day? Um, so it, there's a lot of variables. But at the end of the day, like square heavy freight that's well packaged um, and, and being picked up and delivered in, you know, just warehouses that have docks and nice safe facilities and um, that's that's the lowest risk, most profitable, most efficient freight. But the problem is everybody wants that. So <laughs> sometimes I think it's good to get get really good at the ugly freight because it still has to still has to move on somebody. But that's a debate for another time, maybe. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, look, brother, it's been a huge pleasure to have you here on stage. How can people find you? How can they reach out to learn more about the mastermind event that you have going on in november uh let's talk about that for a second yeah well thank you again for having me thanks to everyone that stuck it out and you know ltl uh, a lot of people have ptsd and and painful memories sometimes when it comes to ltl so appreciate the crew that you have here um you can find me in a lot of places i'm i'm definitely on linkedin curtis garrett um i've got my own website curtisgarrett.co and then Understand LTL has a website as well. It's just uh, understandltl.com. And information about the course and the event is going to be on the Understand LTL website. 
Okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. Did you have anything that you wanted to close out with? Um, just, you know, don't be intimidated by the industry. Um, reach out to me or anybody else you know that, you know, that can help. There's, it, it really is a good industry. There's a lot of good people that, um, you know, that want to want to help everyone. We all just kind of get, get heads down and get in our own little silos. And I think lack of good communication is just, you know, a big reason why LTL just gets chaotic a lot of the time. But at the end of the day, it's a place I've enjoyed, uh, you know, working 16 years so far in the industry and hopefully do at least that more. But thanks again for having me. This is, this is awesome what you've done, Jory. And, um, I'll definitely look you up next time I'm, I'm down in Georgia. Oh, definitely, brother. Again, it's been a pleasure, man. This has been a long time coming. Look, in addition, y'all, he didn't mention this, but he already has a course that's out there. You know, he has the, the live session coming up. But if you're wanting to grab some content now, it's a ready-made LTL course. Oh, he didn't mention it. <laughs> but <laughs> just for me to mention it again, uh, <laughs> it's available. It's available. And, uh, yeah, brother, anytime you're in the area, holla at me. But outside of that, everybody, I'll say tune in on Monday, 7.30 Eastern Standard Time as we welcome on Freightways Sonar Team. You know, we're going to be talking about the market where you should be positioning your trucks to take advantage of the market. And next week, we are going to be interviewing the founder and CEO of Weather Optics and just everything that they are able to do with that data to make it very actionable, um, you know, when thinking about inclement weather. So we're going to be talking to them and all their, the way that they're uh, building all these, they're just, they're just integrating to all things transportation right now. So it's very exciting for that young brother. So we're going to be highlighting him next weekend uh, or next week. But uh, again, Curtis brother, uh, thank you. And you have a blessing. All right. You too, Joy. Thanks a lot. Thanks.